Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. How do we save history education instruction? Well, I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com, or you can just do at Brian McClanahan for all those things. You can also support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You heard about that. But if you're listening in June of 2023, get 25% off every class at McClanahan Academy with the coupon code JUNE. And you're going to want to do this because prices at McClanahan Academy are going up July 1st, 2023. So if you want to get my classes for the best price, you're ever going to get them again. Use that coupon code JUNE. Go to checkout. Click. Put all the courses in your cart that you want. Use coupon code JUNE. You get 25% off all of them. And therefore, you can get the best deal at McClanahan Academy you'll ever see again. All right. So that's a great way to support the show. Also, click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the super thanks button under this video if you're watching on YouTube. You can help the show painlessly by just rate, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast so people know you love it. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Leave a comment on YouTube. Subscribe there as well. Leave a comment on YouTube to uh, help the algorithm. All those things promote the show. And send me those show requests. I want to see what you want to hear. All right. Well, we've seen a decline in historical knowledge in America. It's evident. I mean, it's all over the place. And, of course, the leftists would say, yeah, all you right-wingers don't know anything. You're just telling a whole bunch of fake news, fake lies, fake stuff, fake history. But on the other hand, this has been going on for a long time now. Now, I've talked about this on this particular program. Why is it Americans don't really care about history anymore? Well, I think there's two things at work here. Number one, it's the Internet. It's the prevalence of Google. And people don't really think they need to know anything necessarily. They can just look it up. They just Google it. Hey, uh, why is this? Why is that? And they can just look it up and it comes up with a website and it tells them what they need to know. The other thing I think that's going on that nobody really wants to acknowledge is the damage that wokeism has done to the historical profession, that leftists have done to the historical profession, that that, um, history which is told as as a story of victims has done to the historical profession and people interested in history in general. And so, for example, Williamsburg, Virginia is a beautiful place. It's a, it's a, fa- it's a fantastic historical environment. And it was put there, I mean, look, Williamsburg wasn't really anything until the Rockefellers decided they wanted to make Williamsburg a historical destination and they started pumping money into it and recreating the colonial environment. Of course, they rebuilt all the great public buildings and all that kind of stuff. Why do people like to go to Williamsburg? Because it made them feel good about being an American. 
You could go sit in Raleigh Tavern and pretend like you're denouncing the British and uh, you know, denouncing the crown of the parliament, eating off of pewter plates, and you had the guy that uh, was dressed in colonial garb. Sometimes uh, he would be African-American and he would bring you your food. And so there was no stigma around this. It's just you were immersed in what the culture and the time was like in the 18th century in Virginia. And you could feel good about thinking, wow, I mean, this is, uh, this is what it's like to be an American. Here we are, and you could, you could watch a, mili a militia rally on the green, and you could, you could listen to a court case, and you could go in and see the recreated House of Burgesses and, and imagine Patrick Henry standing there. You could do this. You didn't have to feel guilty about anything. It was just great, and they didn't, have, they didn't beat it over your head that, well, in Virginia, we had slavery. In Virginia, they didn't do that until about 20 years ago. Maybe a little over 20 years ago, but by the, about the, the late 1990s, you started seeing some of this stuff. You go to, uh, if you went to Monticello or you went to Mount Vernon, you went to any of these places, the story of the place was about the important person that lived there. It was about Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. Or if you went to Montpelier, it was about James Madison. If you went to these places, if you went to Charleston, South Carolina, it was about the history of those places sans any kind of guilt. You didn't have to feel guilty about liking that stuff. Now, if you like Thomas Jefferson or George Washington or the Founding Fathers in Virginia or, uh, God forbid, anything in Charleston, South Carolina that's not uh, you know, politically correct, you are made to feel guilty about all of it. You can't feel good about any of it. None of it. It's all bad. All of American history is bad, except for the stuff that is from um, a perspective that's not traditional, right? So if it's women history, women's history, it's good. If it's African-American history, it's good. But we know in the 18th century, and even the 19th century, those two issues were tied in to what's often seen as abuse of power, right? So you have slavery, you have, you know, you don't have, you don't have any, uh, women voting in the 19th century. So it's always told from a position of, well, women did this, but they couldn't vote. Well, you know, we, yeah, we had, we had black Americans doing this, but they were enslaved and they were not free. And you had all these mean people doing these things to them. So it makes you feel guilty. Why would you want to go to a place? I mean, this, this is a question people have to ask themselves. Would you want to go somewhere where the whole time you're there, you have to feel guilty about being there? Well, this is really cool stuff, but my gosh, it's all built with, I mean, it's all built on the backs of slaves, and this is horrible, and how can I even like this place? Why would you even go back? If you go down to Fort Pickens in Florida, beautiful fort. I mean, it's a really cool place. It's a 19th century fort. It's a really important part of American military history, of course, also the war. Um, it was the companion to Fort Sumter. Uh, there's a section of the fort missing where it was blown up. You can see this, and you see how far away the pieces of the fort went when it was blown up, way across the, the bay there, the Pensacola Bay. I mean, it's an amazing place to see. But now when you go, there's a big panel that talks about how the fort was built with slave labor, and you kind of have to feel guilty about that. So why would you go back? Why would you go somewhere where the whole time you have to feel guilty about something? Why would you study history from a position of guilt? And this is what leftists want you to feel. They want you to feel guilty. They want you to feel bad about history. Unless, again, you're an underrepresented or minority group 
And then you should feel good about what they've done and what they've accomplished in spite of all the bad things. But at the core of that, it's still all bad. There's nothing about heroism. There's nothing about the grandness of American history. Nothing about the underdog status of the founding generation, for example. I mean, these people were underdogs. There's nothing about any of that. It all has to be idealism. Well, we're going to study the Declaration, but only from the Lincolnian position of all men are created equal, and look how they didn't live up to that. We're not going to talk about it as a document of independence, right? I mean, so this is the real problem with American history now. There's nothing glorious about it. It's all bad. Even Western civilization, nothing glorious about that. Nothing tremendous about the fact that this little part of the world was able to have such an impact all over the world, a positive impact all over the world. We can talk about the negatives of anything. But this little place had such a positive and profound impact all over the world. The British Isles, for example, more than anything else, was able to do this. That's an amazing story. And these people were amazing people. They weren't bad people. They were just people that may have had views different from ours now. But that doesn't make them bad people. It makes them people of their own times. But we have to talk about them like we're living now and these people are walking around us. And how could you? How dare you? How could you think this way? When most of the people living now, if you transported them back to the 18th century in Williamsburg, Virginia, would think the exact same thing. And we know this because people are social animals and they're herd animals essentially, and so they're going to believe what everyone else believes. And they're not going to want to rock the boat. They're not, I mean, all the stuff that we see is because you don't want to be ostracized or called names or do anything else. You want to just kind of go along to get along so that nobody says anything bad about you. So history now is part of that. Well, we have all these bad things. We have all these bad things happen. Let's talk about the bad stuff all the time. Now, I mean, look, Edward Gibbon... Edwin uh, Gibbon said in uh, his rise and uh, decline of the uh, uh, decline and fall, I'm sorry, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. If I could just think today about what the title of the book is, but the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I mean, Gibbon said that all of history is just the story of the crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind. I mean, that's what history is. It's all the bad stuff. But on the other hand, that's not true. We know that history is a glorification of the people that should be glorified. I mean, Booker T. Washington talked about this with Confederate monuments. Put monuments up to the best so that people learn to emulate these people. They're people, so they're going to have problems. They're going to have things, even when you look at any historical actors, they're not going to agree with everything you do now because, well, now is not then. But that's okay. There's still all glorious things about these people. When I wrote my uh, founding, uh, Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, I didn't think in 2009 that it would be this quick. I mean, we're just a little over a decade later that the founding generation really is on the chopping block. I knew it was coming. I didn't think it was going to happen in a decade. But I knew it was coming. That's why I wrote the book. Because that is a, it is the greatest generation in American history. More than the World War II generation. Way more than the World War II generation. And uh, that generation deserves to be applauded. We're not sitting here in the United States of America without them. And that's something that, you know, it's not about guilt. There should be no guilt felt by anybody about that. I don't care who you are. We're, we're not living in the 18th century. We, have no, we had no control over what these people did. But we can look at them and say, wow, this is a really amazing group of people. Look at all the things they did. They're well-educated. They did all these, they, they wrote all these constitutions they secured independence from the most powerful military, arguably, in the world, next to the French. I mean, they did these, they did these things, 
And that's an amazing story. But all we're going to talk about is all their failings. Well, who wants to talk about that all the time? Who wants to talk about the bad stuff? So Williamsburg was a, was a, was a grand tour of the beautiful about 18th century America. It's now been changed to a grand tour of all the ugly of 18th century America, or at least what people want to focus on, the bad things. You go to Monticello. It should be a celebration of Jefferson the man, but it's not. It's now all the bad things Jefferson was. Look at all these horrible things he did. Look at what he, I mean, and and not even based on any real conclusive evidence often at times, particularly when it comes to Sally Hemings. Look at all this stuff. I mean, look how bad Jefferson is. This is what I find fascinating about these things. And so now you have people wringing their hands over, why why aren't people learning history anymore? What's wrong here? It's all the Republicans trying to cancel history. They're trying not to have us teach race, class, gender in the classroom. We've been doing that since the 1970s, and look at the impact it's had. So by Republicans saying, you know, we're not going to teach guilt anymore. We're going to teach the grand. That's all they're saying. No more guilt. No more blame. We're going to teach the grand stuff about American history. It doesn't mean you won't teach slavery. It doesn't mean you won't teach race. You're going to have to. If you teach American history, you have to teach these things. They're there. It's clear it's there. But how can you do it? Well, you don't teach it from a presentist status. You don't say, say, well, I mean... Uh, look at Abraham Lincoln and what he said about race. Isn't he a bad guy? You just say, this is what Lincoln thought about race. You know what? Just about every American thought this in the 19th century. We don't think that now. Does that make them bad people? It just makes them people of their time. What you do is disarm all of that stuff. But instead, no, no, no. We have to talk about it in a way that makes all these people awful people because they don't hold our current values and you can't like anything that they did because of these particular social issues. That's the agenda, by the way. That's the entire agenda. It is a cultural reset in America. It's the whole point. To start American history, say, in the 1970s. That's when they want to start it. Because if you start it in the 1970s, well, then you eliminate some of these old-time things that are happening, maybe even the 1980s or maybe even 2009. That's when you really start history. Because Barack Obama was the first post-racial president, right? So that's when we start history. And everything from that point forward is real American history. And everything before that was just a bunch of bad stuff. I mean, even the 1980s and 1990s are portrayed that way. I mean, it's, it's amazing how these things happen. So a couple of different articles. I'm just going to kind of mention them because I don't want to read both. Uh, But one was from early May. It was published in the New York Times, and it's titled U.S. History Scores for Eighth Graders Plunge. It's by Sarah Mervosh. And she says, she's saying, look, we've got a real problem. A growing number of students are falling below even the basic standards set up on the National Assessment of Educational Progress, a rigorous national exam administered by the Department of Education. About 40% of eighth graders scored below basic in U.S. history last year compared with 34% in 2018 and 29% in 2014. So again, what's going on? Well, look at look at the dates, right? And I'm sure that 29% in 20, uh, 2014 was um, lower than it was you know, before that, or I should say it's higher, excuse me, than it was before that. Why? Well, you can see the rise of the internet. 
you don't have to you don't have to know anything. We've lost any kind of memorization. You don't have to memorize anything about American history. It doesn't matter when these things happen. I was having a conversation with my live class uh, on this particular topic. And I said, you can't look at, for example, the New England Confederation in 1643 in a vacuum. What's going on in 1643? Well, you have, you have the English Civil War. Well, most people, if you don't know dates, aren't going to connect the dots and say, oh, yeah. The English Civil War is happening. Why are these people worried about security? Well, because there's a power vacuum in, in, in England at that time. There's a power vacuum in London. Who's in control? The king? The parliament? What's going on? So they're going to try to defend themselves. You cannot look at things in a vacuum. But when people don't have any anchor to dates or any kind of understanding of when things happened, well, then it doesn't. It's all, it all just becomes irrelevant. And that's that's exactly what the the reset people want. They don't want you to have an anchor or a date or an understanding other than guilt. Other than 1619 is the founding of America because that's when the first African slaves were brought here. And that was the agenda of that. To change the narrative. I talked about this when I said you know, these are 11 songs you can't listen to. What was the point? Why some, uh, Amer some black Americans don't celebrate 4th of July? Well, because it's not a real Independence Day, is it? But June 19th is. June 19th is a real Independence Day, but not July 4th. That's the point, to shift our focus away from real Independence Day, July 4th, to something that, well, wasn't even a real date when it came to the abolition of slavery. But it has political meaning to it. You see, it's the point. So we've got a whole bunch of 8th graders. These are 13-year-olds now. These people are going to be able to vote in five years. They're going to be entering colleges and universities, and they're not going to know anything there. They're going to know even less after they get out. And then they're going to become adults, and they're going to be running around not knowing anything. It really is the Mike Judge movie, Idiocracy. I mean, this Idiocracy, this is what we're facing. This is what we're going to in America. We have a bunch of people running around that don't know anything, particularly in, in, in history. So the piece says, just 13% of 8th graders were considered proficient, demonstrating comp competency over challenging subject matter, down from 18% nearly a decade ago. 13% are proficient. Only 1 in 10 are proficient. Now, I've seen in how this has worked uh, in college classes. It used to be in a college class, if you had, say, let's cut it down to 10. Out of 10 students, you would have 3 that were really good, really proficient in, in history. Then you would have about three or four more that were pretty good, average, and then you would have three that just didn't really know anything. Now that number's down to about one out of ten that are really good, maybe two or three more that are okay, and then the rest that don't know anything. It's, it's clear. That, I mean, you're, I see it on a regular basis. They, they get into college and they really don't know anything. So that one proficient student now is what you've got. So if you have 20 students, you got two. This is it. It's really difficult. And then out of that 20 students, maybe you have uh, you know six or so that are outside of that. So you have about eight of the class that are any good. Eight, eight out of 20. And then the rest, the 12, really don't know anything. And it's really a struggle to try to get them 
engaged in the material because they've been beaten over the head that history is just bad stuff. It's boring. Nobody wants to learn it. Uh, it's all, it makes me feel bad about things. And I've actually had students say that. Oh, history just makes me feel bad about everything. Well, that's the point. It's a motive. If you feel bad about all this stuff, well, then you're going to have a political solution to that. How do you feel good about it? Well, you get the people that did this stuff. So the piece says, President Biden's education secretary, Miguel A. Cardona, seized on the results, admonishing politicians for trying to limit instruction in history, often on topics of race, a trend that has played out in dozens of states, typically Republican-controlled. Now is not the time, he said, adding that banning history books and censoring educators from teaching these important subjects does our students a disservice and will move America in the wrong direction. Now again, look at what he's saying here. If you look at the Florida curriculum, other thing, they're not they're not not teaching these things. They're just saying you can't teach it in a way that is guilt, because people don't want to hear that stuff. Why do you want to go to a class that makes you feel guilty about everything that's ever been done before? At least one group of people feeling guilty about that, and another group is going to start blaming them. It creates division. Instead, uh, we we you can teach these subjects in a way that's not in line with that. The piece says, in history, it's possible that reduced reading comprehension played some role in student performance. No, go figure. Yeah, student people aren't reading anymore either. They're not memorizing anything. They're not reading anymore. They don't do any of this stuff. So, of course, if you don't do those things, you can't really be a good history student. You have to read and you have to consume things. And, of course, uh, Twitter history doesn't really lend to that. Facebook history doesn't lend to that. Instagram history doesn't lend to that. Uh, the videos that you get on YouTube don't really lend to that. You have to read stuff. If you don't read, well, you don't become very proficient in these things. Since the implementation of No Child Left Behind in the early 2000s and its update during the Obama administration, federal policy has required states to test students in reading and math. Periodic testing is also required for science. No such mandate exists for social studies. Now, let me stop there with that for a second. So this is federal requirements. And why do we have these? Well, because of federal money. We have them because the federal government pumps money, the Department of Education, into school districts. And school districts start to exist on the cash. They become addicted to it. If you look at your colleges and universities, because of student loans and Pell Grants and other things, they're addicted to the cash there too. They want the cash to keep... And, and some of these schools, your large universities, have huge endowments, but yet they're, they're getting a whole bunch of federal money too, so they can just sit on that money. Instead of spending it. Well, it's other people's money. Who cares, right? I mean, why does it matter? We don't want to spend our own. We'll spend everybody else's money. But because of that cash, there are strings attached to it. And it's, you have to, but again, do these things. No child left behind. Forget about history. And Republicans, of course, are really awful at this too. Because they think that all professors running around there are a bunch of lefties. And for the most part, they're correct. So they just want to gut that. They just want to say, we're not, we're not going to teach that stuff anymore. But where are you going to get it then? Where are you going to go with it? Where, how are you going to figure these things out? Where are you going to get real history instruction? Well, I mean, if you're listening to me, you can go to McClanahan Academy and get it. But that's, that's a whole other issue. Instruction time for social studies declined after the impl implementation of No Child Left Behind. 
a pattern that was amplified during the pandemic when schools had to triage academic losses, resulting in more of a focus on reading and math. It doesn't bode well for the future of this country and for the future of democracy if we don't start doing more instruction in social studies, said Kristen uh, Ducher Mann, a history professor at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, who helps train middle and high school social studies teachers. At one point, she said older elementary school students in her community received an hour of social studies each day. Now she said they'll be lucky if they get 30 minutes of social studies twice a week. The National Council for the Social Studies recommends a minimum of 45 minutes of daily instruction in elementary school and a similar equivalent in middle and high school. So the problem is she's saying that we have a real problem that we're getting left behind. So what's the solution to this? Now, I mean, one thing I just said is to not teach history of guilt. But then you have um, another potential solution. And this comes from Hans Ziegler, who is uh, one of the, um, who's the president of the Jack Miller Center. And he says, look, what we really need to do is have more primary sources. First person sources can rehumanize history. The problem is we don't humanize history enough. Now, I'm not so certain about that. I mean, people use primary documents. They use them even in uh, you know, your, your current history instruction. It's what they use and how they teach it. I, I caution people, uh, South Carolina was going to pass a bill that you had to teach the founding documents in a history class. That sounds all fine and dandy because the idea is, well, we don't teach the Constitution anymore. We don't teach the Declaration. We don't teach any of this stuff. Yeah, we do. We teach it. We just teach it from a bunch of leftist dopes who don't really know it to begin with. They don't really understand originalism. They don't understand what the Declaration was supposed to do and what it wasn't. We get this Lincolnian position on it. Same thing with the Constitution. So do you want a bunch of lefties running around there teaching this stuff? I sure as heck. I'd rather just not even teach it than have that. This is the, this is the, the position we're put in. Why do you want them to teach it when they're going to teach it so poorly? That's the point. So, um, you know, rehumanizing history, first-person documents, primary sources, I am all on board with this. If you go to McClanahan Academy, I've got those reading classes, and all I do is go through primary documents. This is what the people actually said. So, if you want to know what they meant, this is what they said. And these are public, sometimes letters. I mean, we're going through all that stuff. You need to get primary documents. If you don't, and you just get a bunch of secondary stuff, it really is bad. I mean, secondary history is okay when it's written well. A lot of it isn't written well, so it's not that fun to, to, to go through or read. But the point is, we've got a real problem in America that people don't read primary documents, or what they say is, well, I've read the primary documents, and this is what they... they again, cherry-picking is an issue. They'll do that. Um, see, you bunch of right-wingers. I actually had a, a professor in graduate school said the reason he was a leftist is because he read primary documents. I mean, you could, people can come up with that conclusion, that, that position, too. It's, it's possible, certainly. It's possible to go the other way, too. I would say that because of my reading of primary documents, it's where I am and on the political spectrum and other things, because of what I've read, not because of secondary sources, but because of primary sources. But history really is primary sources, and you have to have an imagination. And if you don't, instruction suffers. That's the other thing that I think we're lacking in modern history instruction, is an imagination. You have to feel the history. A place like Williamsburg lets you feel it in a way. You can imagine you're there in the 18th century. And it can be a grand 
time uh, if you want to imagine those things. But when all you do is guilt history and it has this history with a political message, when all you do is that, people will get tired of it. They don't want to do it. They don't want to be around it. And they'll stop going. Museums have taken a huge hit in attendance. Uh, living history, you know, house museums, all these things. They are way down in terms of attendance in the last, say, 30 years. And why? Well, because of the shift to guilt history, to history that's intended to make you feel bad, to presentism, to these kind of things. Nobody really wants to do that. They don't like it. And why would I go to a place when you're just going to talk about these old bad people? I don't really care about them. I'm going to go to some place where we can talk about uh, you know, good people and they did good things and these kinds of Well, you could have done that at all these places. You could have done that at Williamsburg. You could have done it at, at uh, any of these museums. I mean, any of them could have been like that. But nope, it has to be about bad stuff. And you have to always qualify. Well, I, I, think the, I think that that artifact is really cool, but I know it was used for bad things. Why do you have to do that? Well, because you're taught to do it. Instead of just saying, you know, the artifact's really cool. Isn't this, isn't this neat? We can't do that anymore. Now, most students are actually receptive to this, to, to grand history, to glorious history. They like it. It's refreshing to them instead of being told over and over again how bad everything is. They like the good stuff. And that's what we have to remember about these things as you are teaching history. They like the good stuff. Be positive about it. These are great things, great people. They did heroic things. And we should love this stuff. Yeah, they may not have thought of us, thought like we do. So what? So what? Are they still not great people that did great things? And the answer should always be, well, yeah. I mean, were the founding generation great men? Yeah, they were. Did they do things that we don't like today? Yeah, they did. So what? It doesn't take away from the grand things that they did and things that we should admire about them. And if you go to one of their homes, you want to learn about Thomas Jefferson and how great he was, not all the bad things he did. If you go to Mount Vernon, you want to learn about George Washington, how great he was, and all the, the, the bad things that he did. Right? I mean, these are not things that, that uh, are going to drive people to want to celebrate George Washington. Why should we do that anymore? I mean, the question would be, if he's so bad, why would we celebrate George Washington or Thomas Jefferson? Why does it even matter? Well, that's the result of 40 years, really, now, 30, 30 to 40 years of guilt history. And you're seeing the results in 8th grade test scores now. That's why history is declining. That's why interest in history is declining, not just the internet, but I think the way we're teaching it. And if you want to save that, reading primary documents sounds great, and, and Ziegler is on the right track, I think. But they have to be done in the right way, and not in a way that's still about ideology, politics, and guilt. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.